ever said something you regretted? <laughs> that comes back to haunt you, doesn't it? We've all done this. We've all said something we've regretted and, and we wish that we could get a do-over. Wouldn't it be great if life came with like a reset button? Like you said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. Let me just reset that and, and, and do, that, do that one over. And we all slip at times and we all say things uh, that we regret. And we all have those things that may hang heavily on our hearts, which can cause a lot of guilt and condemnation. And we, we may look over at our past and there are some things that we've done and we're like, man, I am just not proud of those things. And once in a while, those things come back to, to haunt us. And it would just be wonderful if life just had this uh, reset button. But how many know that um, life isn't like that? And it doesn't come with a reset button. I, I, my kids, when they were growing up, they had, they had the Wii. If you, I don't know if you guys know what the Wii is. And, and uh, it's, this, it's a game that you play on your television set. And it's a hand controller. And it's supposed to be more interactive. So the way you move the Wii, so you could play tennis. Or, or, and my favorite was the bowling. You could do bowling. And um, it, it, we were worried about, because the kids would get so excited that they would lose the grip of the Wii controller and... We had a lot of close calls of that thing hitting our TV set. And, and so I, I got into it, and I liked the bowling. I, I actually threw my shoulder out playing Wii bowling. No, no I'm just teasing. I, it did hurt a couple of times. But I, what I loved about the Wii bowling is that um, I, I wanted to get my average way up so I could beat the kids. So when they were in school sometimes or they weren't in the house, I would secretly play and get... Get my, try to get my average up on Wii Bowling. Now, what was cool about Wii Bowling is you could reset it and it wouldn't go against your average. So if I like get, had an open frame like in the first frame, I would just reset it and just keep doing it so I could get a high score, which probably isn't real honest for a pastor, but when you're trying to beat your kids, that's all you got, right? Um, so, you know, but I, I'd like to reset. The, the problem is we know that life doesn't come with, with the do over uh, button. So when we live with these regrets and other people can remind us of these things and, and, and living with guilt and condemnation sometimes can be debilitating. And, and what I want you to see today is we, as we enter into this wonderful week of looking at the cross of Christ. And next week, we're going to look at obviously the resurrection of Christ. I want you to understand something. There is something very, very powerful that sometimes we miss in the cross of Christ. We understand, many of us understand like, okay, Jesus went and there's this tremendous amount of suffering that Jesus had to endure, this physical suffering that Jesus had to endure on the cross. But the question is, why did Jesus have to endure the suffering? And, 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 and what, what was accomplished through that suffering by, by Jesus giving up everything for us? And I want you to realize this morning that the cross gives us a do-over. The cross resets our life. There's nothing else in this world that can reset your life. Jesus came to do something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. He came to accomplish something for you that you couldn't accomplish for yourself. For, for, for those of you here this morning that are looking for a second lease, a new lease on life, for those looking to overcome their past, for those of you that are looking to overcome your guilt, uh, overcoming your hurt, the cross of Jesus Christ 
gives us that hope this morning. And the Apostle Paul gives us some wonderful insight to what the cross of Jesus Christ accomplishes for you and I today. And so basically what the cross does, it, it, it gives us this, this mulligan. It, it gives us this, you know, I play golf and I love playing with people that say, hey, pastor, just go ahead and hit another one. A mulligan just gives you a second shot without it counting against your score. It's officially not in the rules of golf, by the way, but I love playing with people that are generous and gracious to me because I need a ton of mulligans when I play golf. So um, basically what the cross does is it gives us a mulligan in life. It gives us that reset button. Um, um, Billy Graham In 2004, you heard his voice at the beginning of the video. Uh, Billy Graham, uh, in 2004, was speaking to 300,000 people in Los Angeles. And um, Billy Graham said these words to this crowd of 300,000 that came to hear him. He said, over the course of his crusade, he says this. He says, the cross is a pardon. It's a reprieve from death for people who don't deserve it. None of us deserve to be saved. None of us deserve to go to heaven. But God is love. And God is grace and mercy. Grace means something that you don't deserve. Something that God just gives to you. God offers you a pardon tonight. I love those words from Billy Graham. See, Those words are so true because what God does is he gives us a new life through his son. He gives us a do-over and God will not count our mistakes or our failures against us through Christ Jesus. Somebody give me an amen this morning. It's, and this is what I want us to look at. And I want you to, let's, I want to look at God's word and we're going to be looking at second Corinthians and, and I want to look at Paul's words here. He gives hope to a church, to people in a culture that were just messed up just dysfunctional. The culture that Paul writes to in Corinth is just so immoral. They were into themselves, which when you're into yourself and you're, and and you're just doing everything to please yourself, that leads to a very immoral lifestyle. Um, It makes what we're seeing today in our culture look like a Sunday picnic. Um, and, And so Paul is writing to this and he's telling them about this new life that they can gain through Christ and through what he accomplished for us on the cross. Listen to Paul's words here. He says, he died for some people. What does it say there? Jesus died for everyone. Every single person sitting in this room, Jesus died for. So that those who receive this new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. And then Paul goes on a little bit later in the same chapter of 2 Corinthians, and he says this. He he gives the meaning here. He says, this means that anyone, so he dies for everyone, and anyone, he says this. This means that anyone who who belongs to Christ now becomes what? A new person. There's the do-over. Jesus gives us this do-over. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That is such good news right there. And all of this, he says, is a gift from God. It's not anything we deserved or merited. It's a gift from God who, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. 
For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Wow. And he gives us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. This is what Jesus has done for me. And he can do the same thing for you. I was messed up. And in many ways, I'm still messed up. God is still working on me. And that good news and his love is for you just as much as it was for me. For God made Christ who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what's the, what's the good news in this verse? So I want to look at a couple things that the cross does for us. So as we're looking this passion week, as we're looking what Christ accomplished as he came in to Jerusalem, you know, he, he came in for a purpose and a reason that was to die on a cross for our sins. And then eventually Three days later, after his death, we would see his, his resurrection. So I, I, want, I want you to see what Jesus accomplished through the cross, which was completely God's will. And so here's what Paul says. Here's what is accomplished through the death of Christ for you and I. Through the cross, what Paul is saying here is that our past no longer has to define who we are. We become new people, a new creation. And so let me give you a little background here. As I just said, Paul is writing to a church that lives in a culture that's all about self, self-indulgence. And with self-indulgence comes a very immoral lifestyle. It was a lifestyle that catered to me and my wants, not much different than what we see in our world today. Paul comes into this culture and gives them a different message, completely counter-cultural to what they're used to. Everything was about me and self-indulgence and all of a sudden, Uh, Paul comes in and says, no, it's about self-sacrifice. It's about dying to yourself. So he doesn't come and just bring them a self-help message. It's it's not a a message about becoming the best you. It's, It's a message that says you need something beyond you in order to fix you. See, the problem with me is me. It's the best thing you're going to hear all, all this morning. The problem with me is me. We always try to look at other people. Well, the problem is them. The problem is my boss. The problem is our culture. The problem is it. Right? We always, we love to blame everybody else, don't we? Much easier to, to blame everybody else than to turn the mirror on myself. And so Paul is saying that he came for sinners, which every single one of us are. See, the problem is with me. I have to look beyond me if I'm going to fix me. And so it's not looking into myself. It's Paul saying, you got to look beyond yourself. The answer Paul gives them is not finding a power within me. If I can just tap into that power within me, then everything will change. The power is not within me, but in Christ who changes me. See, the message that Paul brought to them was not a, a message of help me help you. It was a message that said, you couldn't help yourself. You're destitute. And so we can't overcome our sin nature on our own. So becoming, being unattached from our past and our old person can't come from within me. It has to come from Christ who changes me. The problem that Paul said is our sin. And that's, that's what drove Jesus to the cross. I can't fix that in my own power And that's what makes the cross so powerful. To men, they looked at it as a defeat. 
it, it, it looked, it, it was such a humbling thing. It was humiliating, but it's through the power of the cross that changes my life and what Jesus accomplished for us on, on the cross. So listen, we're, we're, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We're, we're all born with sin. We're, that's, our, that's our nature is sin. And Jesus came to deal with it. If Jesus came for just good people, he didn't need to go to the cross. He came for sinners, which each and every one of us are. And that's what makes the message of Jesus so powerful. The more I recognize that I'm destitute before God, the greater God's grace and what Jesus accomplished for me on the cross, the more wonderful that becomes. See, if I look into my own power and my own goodness, the cross isn't going to seem that attractive. God's grace is not going to seem that great. But when I look into my own life and I realize that I've fallen short of God's perfection and his goodness, and it's not based on, on my works or anything that I've accomplished, that I see God's salvation is a free gift given to a sinner like pardon. I realize how wonderful that grace is. Let, let me explain it this way. When I was 10 years old, I took life savings. Now, I took a life savings course, and I was too young to get my, you had to be 12 or 14 to get it. I was the youngest person in the class by far. But I was, I was, many of you know, I was a swimmer. I was a pretty good swimmer, and I wanted to do it. My mom says, okay, go ahead and take it. And they said, well, what we'll do for you, we'll give you a, a junior life-saving card. We can't stick you at a pool and pay you because you're only 10 years old. And people are going to look at a 10-year-old saying, this kid's going to save me, right? And I could. I, 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 I was good. I was a good swimmer. I could do it. I was, I was confident. I said, I'm going to do this, Mom. My mom's like, my mom and dad are like, okay, we'll, we'll stick you in this life-saving course. Go for it. We don't know if you're going to pass, but go for it. By the way, I did. So, here, so I'm in this course. Here's the one thing I remember. Um, the instructor said to us, we had to, we had to save a drowning person. And they said, when you approach a drowning person, the one thing you never do is approach them head on. Because that person is panicking because they're drowning. And what they'll end up doing is they'll grab onto you because they're in a panic state. And they'll end up drowning you with them. And so you have to do something when you approach them. In their panic, they're going to hurt the very one who's trying to save them. So you would do something. They said, what you do is when you approach someone that is, that is drowning, you always come up behind them. And you tell them to relax. And what you do is you come up behind them. If you don't have a, a, you know, a life-saving device, you come up behind them. You get your arm up under their armpit and you just tell them to relax and you learn how to guide that person back. But here's the thing. The person who is drowning must give complete control to the one who's saving them. See, what Paul is telling us is you can't save yourself. It's, it's not you and God. It's not a mixture of my good works with what Jesus did on the cross. And then, hey, are we good? God, right? A little bit of me, a little bit of you. God's saying, none of you, all of me. Giving complete control to the one who's saving you. That's exactly what Paul's message is here to the, to, to the church in Corinth. We must give complete control to Christ for he's the only one who can save us from drowning in our sin. There's nothing in my power that can save me. 
And when I recognize that, I realize that there's nothing in my past that can save me, whether good or bad. So that's why Jesus can completely save us, even from all the stuff in our past and all the wrong things we've done because I'm putting my complete trust in the one who can save. This is the second thing that Paul says about through the cross. Through the cross, we are a new being with a new life. And Paul tells us that we become a new person or a new creation. So what does this mean? I can remember getting my hair cut one time and I saw a saying on the, on the mirror of the woman that was cutting my hair and it says, I'm a beautician, not a magician. You ever hear that? Right? It's a, I can do work, but I, you know, I can't change everything. And we're wondering, okay, well, what does this new life mean? Does it mean that all of a sudden I, I accept Christ and I lose 30 pounds? Right? I have no more acne on my face. Right? I get buff right away. Well, what's the deal with this new person? Sorry about that. Not going to happen. Here, here's here's what, what, what Paul's saying about a new life. What, what did Christ come to do? What, 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 what is the meaning of this new person? See, in our natural sin, sinful state, before we come to Christ, before we're forgiven, we are, the Bible says we're actually enemies with God. Our sin actually separates us from a holy God. Nothing sinful can come before a holy God. And so what God does, he says, I'm going to send my son to reconcile that broken relationship, to, to bridge the gap between my holiness and your sinfulness. And the cross is that bridge that allows us to go over that divide that I could never cross myself. Ever been to the, the Grand Canyon? I've been there eight miles across where we were looking. I, go, I was telling my kids, I go, it would be like standing here, at living word and, and looking to Wegmans. That's about seven, eight, nine miles. That's how far across that chasm is. You are, I don't care how, what a good broad jumper you are, high jumper, long jumper. You're not going to make it in your own strength. The, the, the divide is, is too great. And that's what our sin was. Our sin was too, too great. And so what God does is he reconciles that relationship with us. And through that relationship with Christ, we have this new being and this new life. Everything changes for us. Paul says in Romans 5.10, he says, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through what? The death of his son, through the cross of his son. How much more having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Proving that he indeed was God through his resurrection. So when, when we come to Christ, we receive his sacrifice. Something, something amazing happens. There's this literal switching of ledgers with us. Let me explain what happens here through the cross of Jesus Christ. And, and his death and his perfect death for us. By taking our sins upon himself. There's this exchange. He exchanges our long spreadsheet. Every single one of us has a rap sheet. We got a long ledger of sins, don't we? We all do. Everything, everything is this ledger that God knows, that he sees, and we've got this huge rap sheet. And, and, and all the deeds that we've ever done is this huge ledger. And it's through Jesus' perfect spreadsheet that is totally clean and perfect, there's an exchange that happens here at the cross of Jesus Christ. He takes our ledger and he gives us his. Paul says, he goes on here, he says, for God made Christ. Look at verse 21. 
who never sinned to be an offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what happens here is this, a divine exchange happens. This is cool. This divine exchange takes place at the cross. Our old sin nature is exchanged for his perfect one, our ledger for his. This is why Paul can say in verse 17, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Jesus gives us his life. He gives us this new lease on life. Our sin no longer is held against us because of what Christ did for us. Our sins are no longer counted against us through Christ and his death. Our sin, our rap sheet is now erased in Christ. Jesus paid that penalty for our sin and his death on the cross. He willingly became a sin offering for us. And that's why Paul can say, in 19, verse 19, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and has given us this beautiful message of reconciliation. This new life we receive through Christ. He now imputes, God imputes Jesus' righteousness into our life. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. It's through my faith in Christ and believing what he did for me that now causes me to be righteous. So here's, here's what God does. Not, here's, here's what I love about a relationship with Christ. We can believe that. Like, okay, yeah, pastor, I want, I want my sins forgiven. I, I want the gift of eternal life. I want to go to heaven. I don't want my sins to be counted against me. Thank God that through the precious blood of Christ, he covers me of my sins. The problem is this. How do we live it out? We may believe it up here and it may even be like a religious thing. But I want you to know when you receive this new life, it should radically change everything about your life now and the way you live out your life. And, and, and this is what Paul says. Paul says the, the, the cross helps us to have this power to actually walk in this new, newness of life. And this is the last thing I want to show you, that we have the power to walk in our new life. And, and this is the hard part because, because um, how do I live this new creation because we're going to still battle with our past sins. People are going to still bring up stuff from our past. Maybe you're battling with, with addictions or some habits that are just haunt you and you struggle with. How do we walk in this new newness of life and, and, rem, and, and remove ourselves from those past struggles? Well, Paul gives us this answer about that. We consistently have to be renewing our minds. How many know it? It takes a while to develop a habit. If you keep doing something, you're going to develop, you're going to develop it, and then, and then it be, just becomes part of your life. And, and, and it, you're trying to think, man, how do, I, how do I overcome this thing that's been part of my life uh, for, for so long? And this is where Paul gives the answer, where you need to renew your mind. You, you have to understand that that is not your life any longer in Christ. That was your old person. Jesus gives you this new life. Now he wants, wants you to walk in it. Not that we're never going to struggle with sin. There's, there's a difference between struggling with sin and, this, and just being overcome by sin. We're, oh, even Jesus was tempted yet did not sin. There's going to be temptation around us. There's going to be sin around us. But the, the difference here is repentance. When I repent from my sins, it's a change of mind. It's not just feeling sorry, but it's like, you know what? That was wrong thinking. 
This type of thinking led me to do these things, which got me into a lot of trouble. And so through my repentance before the Lord, I'm saying, God, I didn't follow your will. I missed, I missed you here. And it's a change of mind to now walk in this newness of life, this new person that Jesus gives to us through his life. And so Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, and dear brothers and sisters, he says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be living in a holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way we worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world. But let, let God transform you, transform you into that new person. Oh, okay, now I understand. So I'm changed. Christ forgives me. I'm this new person. Now he says, now begin to walk in that new person as he begins to transform your life. By changing the way you what? Think. So I used to get really ticked off quick. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit's in my life, and I'm like, man, I don't get as angry as I used to. God is doing a work in your heart, right? All of a sudden, you start to feel convicted about something you said. You don't justify it anymore. You're like, that wasn't good. I need to, I need to ask for forgiveness. God's working in your heart. That's a good thing. So when you feel convicted about something, and you feel like, man, I know this ought not be in my life, that's actually a good thing, because God's working in your heart. He's changing you. He says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, good, pleasing, and perfect will. Remember, we form a habit over time, and, and it's the same with Christ. I have to consistently renew my mind in him over and over and over again and just separate myself that poison me in my past. Whatever that means for you. Whatever you have to separate yourself from that caused your downfall or, or, or caused you to think the wrong way, separate yourself from that. God will give you the power to do that when you give those things to him. See, when I make a mistake, we now have Christ to turn to and find forgiveness. It doesn't mean we're never going to make another mistake the rest of our lives, but what it does mean is we can find forgiveness for our sins and our shortcomings, that we can offer forgiveness and give grace for those who even sin against us. Let me just finish with this because I want to take communion. My gift to you today was a short sermon, okay? So God bless you all today. Um, I want to give us time for our, uh, to take communion and also to, to, uh, I'm excited about our baptismal service. I heard this story. It just really, um, it really just gripped my heart I heard this story about a ministry in Los Angeles and um, it's a, it's a ministry to ex gang members in Los Angeles. And what this ministry does is, is they, um, as they reach out to these gang members and as these gang members um, come to Christ, it's wonderful. You see this huge move of God in many of these uh, ex gang members. The problem is many of them, um, whatever gang that they were part of, they have a tattoo that represents that. So wherever they go, when they look in the mirror or somebody else sees them, they still have this tattoo of their old life. And many of them don't want that tattoo on there any longer because it's a reminder of their past, 
of this allegiance to something that was destructive for them. And there's a ministry that reaches out to them to work with a surgeon to remove the gang markings uh, on their body. There's a thousand gang members that are on a waiting list to get their ex, to get their tattoos removed from the gang that they were in. Thousand people waiting. See, here, here's, God says to you, if you're in me and you understand what I accomplished for you on the cross, I want you to make it personal. It just wasn't something that happened 2,000 years ago. We're like, okay, Jesus died for our sins. Yeah, I learned that in Sunday school or once in a while in church I hear that, blah, 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 blah. I want you to really, he died for you. I, w- I want you to make it personal. I want you to realize that your past does not have to dictate your future once you are in Christ Jesus. Does that mean you're never going to... F- for, does that mean you're going to forget about your past? No, you're, you're, pat, you're going to be reminded of your past. But I want you to realize that Jesus has come to remove the tattoo of your past from you. As far as the east is from the west, so I've moved, removed your transgressions from you. God no longer holds it against you. In Christ Jesus. I heard a pastor say it this way. He said, we are not who we were. But we are still becoming who we are. I'm not that old person anymore. But yet God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has helped me to become the person of God that he desires me to be. So can I just give you little words of wisdom here before we take communion? Can we just be patient with each other? I just wish that we would all wear a t-shirt that says still under construction. Because we all are. It's so easy to get judgmental. I thank God for his patience with me because I'm still under construction. So if you see me come in next week with a construction hat on, you know, we're, on, we're still under construction. But realize this, that through Christ Jesus, your past no longer has to dictate your future. That's the power of the cross. That's why Jesus came. Yes, the cross physically was a horrible death. But I want you to realize that through the cross, Jesus took on our sin and took on the wrath of God that should have been pointed to us. There was a spiritual thing that happened far much greater than the physical that we see with our eyes. The spiritual thing that happened was Jesus took on our sin and bore them for us. He literally became our substitute. The reason why we take communion is not for some religious calisthenic that we just do so that we can say, oh, check mark, I took communion, I'm good. No. The reason why we take communion is we are to remember Jesus never wanted us to forget what he did for us and what he accomplished for us. So as we take communion today, listen, communion is open to all of you. 
who've put your faith in Christ Jesus. And if you've not done that, we're going to pray, and you can do that right now and put your faith in Christ Jesus and by all means take communion with us and celebrate what Christ has done for you. But the purpose of communion is to remember. Jesus says, remember, this was my body that was given for you. This is my blood. This is the new, this new covenant that is in my blood that I've given for you so that you now have a right relationship with my Father. We do this in remembrance. And then Paul said, examine your heart before you come to the Lord's table. So as we pray, we're going to examine our hearts. Maybe there's forgiveness you need to offer. Maybe you need to ask God for forgiveness today, whatever it is. It's available to all who come. Jesus is not going to turn you away. He receives your prayers. He hears your cry for help. And you will find mercy and grace in your time of need when you humble your heart before Jesus. Amen. So would you bow your hearts with me as we just pray and the ushers are going to come and they will serve you communion in your seats and we'll take communion together as the family of God after uh, everyone is served. But would you just pray with me? Father God, we come before you today and we ask for your help today as we take this time to recognize what Christ did for us. Communion is about remembering. The supper is about remembering the great sacrifice that Jesus paid for us. And I pray that God you would forgive us, that we would find healing through that, that also we would find hope that our past no longer has a hold on us once we are in Christ Jesus, that, that God, you no longer hold our sin over us any longer in Christ Jesus, that great exchange happened on the cross, and we are a new person with a new life and a new creation. Now help us to walk in that as we strive for you, God to walk in that newness of life as you transform our minds each and every day. We thank you for this time. We just love you and we thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. In your precious name, we ask these things. And all God's children said...